Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the best damn camp, our anniversary long analysis, whoa god that was hard, <laughs> an analysis <laughs> podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Rowden in timeline order. I'm your friendly neighbourhood lesbian author and host, Fran, welcome to the show. Today, you've probably heard it already because they have an incredible laugh, I am joined <laughs> by <laughs> the very fun, the very awesome Katie from the Damn Snack Bar podcast. Po- hello, pod- hello. Podcast? Oh yes, my god, I said podcast. podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello. How is everybody? I know you can't respond to me. <laughs> <laughs> send them a DM. Follow yeah. the damn snack bar on social medias and send yeah. Katie a DM being like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes. That's so good. <laughs> Tell tell people about you, your stuff, okay. and all the things. So, obviously, Katie from the Dev Snack Bar. I run um, the Percy Jackson podcast with my sister Jo. We are, I think, currently the only Australian um, Percy podcast, which is very exciting. And we're reading um, Magnus at the moment, so that's been super fun. We're on like the second book, and I'm. It is a wild ride, and it's it's actually like so good the other problem is like we're kind of speeding through it a little bit and I'm dreading the approach to um here is Olympus that's just looming over us so I just really don't want to read the last hero I really don't I don't want to read it but it's fine we'll get there so yeah that's get there (laughs) yeah so you can come and find us on like any like Spotify or like anything at um the damn snack bar so we have fun over there they do they do it's a lot of fun (laughs) Yeah, I had um, like a all... full. We did like a full episode the other day where Joe and I were just horrendously drunk, and <laughs> I like didn't specify that until the end of the episode. I literally had to cut out like an hour worth of stuff, and then I like kind of condensed it down into like a ten minute thing that I put at the end of an episode. And someone messaged us, and they were like, "Oh my god, I love like the tangents you went on. Like it was so funny." And I was like, "Dude, we were so drunk." <laughs> Anyways, oh my god. That's brilliant. That's something that, that, like, we should all be doing a lot more. Like, I don't drink, but I would, I would drink just to do a drunk episode. <laughs> like, it was actually, I think like, my runs so are fun. bad. Just wait until I'm drunk. <laughs> well, it was for like an episode where, like, basically nothing happened in the chapters that we were looking at, and we were like, "How do we make this fun? We have nothing to talk about." And so then we ended up talking about like Batman, <laughs> and I know nothing about Batman, so like, <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So if you guys want to hear that, the links for Katie and the Damn Snack Bar are linked in the uh, episode show notes, so be sure to check that out for all the fun, crazy times. But Love don't that. worry, we're going to have crazy times today too, because <laughs> that's basically like every time we've collabed. 
It is. I just bring the chaos. It's my favourite part of this oh, job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think you're still currently the long, uh, the person I've had the longest episode with, which I think was like Look, And I will take it. And I'm pretty sure that's the first one that I came on here for. And I was like, I'm just going to derail frame and I don't even care. I'm just going to do what I want. It's my podcast. <laughs> I'm the captain now. Yeah. I did the same thing when I uh, collabed with Lauren and Lachlan on, um, I accidentally vaporized my podcast. I made them go so over time. I was like, sorry about it. <laughs> so a lot of opinions. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, I think that was the first one because I think that's when we also talked about the British Empire oh and my how God. it fucking sucked. <laughs> oh, God. You just come from sucky places ruled by sucky people. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Oh, you're going to have, I'm going to say, you'll have to listen to the episode that was out previous to this one because that's where all the Confederate stuff comes in and I oh. go ham on that. Um, oh, of course, a minute, we've got references to it in this part due to yeah. the, the situation. So we can talk about it a little bit too because I'm, yeah. I'm happy to kind of go like, Rick, why? Again. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm three books in. I'm at that point where I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm giving stupid. I'm going to say it's stupid. I feel like I would be more lenient if I knew things about Jason and Raina, but I don't know things about them, so I'm not lenient in my opinions, in my thoughts. Valid. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. basically the, the whole situation. <sighs> yeah. How's your um your rewrite going? Oh my god, the rewrite. Oh my god. Yeah, guys, check out my rewrite videos on YouTube because firstly they're not getting that much traction because I am brutal. <laughs> But also, they're very fun. <laughs> I love it. One of my favorite fan fictions is a rewrite of Heroes of Olympus. And they actually, like, deleted, like, the author deleted most of it. And they only have, like, the first maybe two chapters up now. And I was so mad when they deleted it because it was literally perfect to me. And I was like, oh. And it wasn't even finished when I read it either. So they just, like, lost their nerve and deleted half of it. And I was like, bring it back. It's so good. And they, like... The fic was like they aged up Percy and Annabeth so they were like 10 years older so they weren't like part of the main quest but it like focused more on the lost trio and I was like this is actually like good you've given me like something to like root for and yeah it was way better anyways oh no I love stuff like that I had um a friend recently who was doing a dissertation um for publishing at at university and they their dissertation was about copyright laws in relation to fan fiction an incredible dissertation because it was all of it was like a whole study oh my 16, god 16 words about the study of fan fiction basically that's amazing. amazing but i found that these rewrite stories are ones that can are more likely to end up being copyright struck and you getting in trouble with the law oh. because they are so because they're basically you're taking the exact same concepts yeah just changing some things mm-hmm. um so there's more kind of mm, sort of like a more grey area there so you could end up getting like in trouble <laughs> with copyright law. Even if you law. don't like publish it, publish it even if you just publish it on like online? Yeah, just because because it's technically in wow. the public domain um, wow. and there will be the justification then to basically say it's taking away the monetary value of the original work because you have rewritten it in a different way basically kind of keeping this, the same premise but some small changes so like yeah so it ends up being a bit of a gray area because they could then claim because they've taken that premise and they've kept a lot of the original things just changing some elements it could be seen as like you're taking away money from the original author because of what 
the work is presenting. What if it doesn't um, earn any money? Even if it doesn't earn any money, it will be like it can be because it's in the public eye. It's just it could be that they're losing money because of its existence. Like that's what I can kind so of claim. Interesting. Yeah, it's weird. But like this is the stuff that I will go on like rabbit holes about, and I will just like read up on it for like hours and hours. That's so interesting to me. I'll yeah, rather I'll someone have... else do all the research than I just read the dissertation. That's fine. <laughs> totally. I'll have to speak to my friend. So I don't know if I can't remember if she listens to this podcast. Alex, <laughs> hi. If you are, um, <laughs> but um, I will ask her to so she published that dissertation somewhere. I don't think she's gotten her grade back yet, so she probably can't publish it yeah. yet. Um, but when wow. she does. Um, I'll I'll ask her if she can publish it or if it's going to be published in general because it's a dissertation because it's yeah. really interesting. That's so cool. Also, I got acknowledged in the acknowledgements because I read through it and helped them. Sick. <laughs> we love that. We love that. Writer credits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, sorry, we've got like ten minutes. We've not started. <laughs> I did it on purpose. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is just us. Um, <laughs> okay, so today we're continuing the timeline journey with the Mark of Athena section entitled The Map of Athena. Yes, it's basically <laughs> the same. Part. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't that's think great. of anything else to call it, but it is basically that. That's just the whole part of no, the section. No, that is. That's good. The Map of I would Athena. Have, I would have just called it You Dropped This. Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, that's also an important part. <laughs> it's the but, only part that matters to me, to be honest. Uh, honestly, it's kind of the only part that does interest me. Um, but <laughs> this section is from pages 300, no, oh God, 237 to 252. Do we like about the fact that we're still in fucking America? It's the last We've... bit. Last bit in America. They're done after this, aren't they? they no, because they've got to go somewhere else, I think. Where do they? they go? I can't I remember, remember now. Before. Um, hold on. Bum, 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 bum. I'm just double checking. <laughs> uh, I'm just seeing, like, when it mentions about <laughs> crossing the Atlantic. Ah. It's the one thing that I really hate about these books. They're so thick that the, that you can't actually flick through the book without struggling. It's <laughs> annoying. Um, okay, so, yeah, no, they're going somewhere before this. Um, okay. So he like there's the whole Leo and Hazel flashback thing um, when they're on the boat. Oh, um, yeah. So they technically are flying, but we've not mentioned um, going anywhere. Oh, hold on. Okay, so we do have the first proper moment um, of them being on the Atlantic, technically at two seventy five, because they then have the Shrimpzilla attack. But like nearly three hundred pages in, and we're only like there's just nearly at the, they're just oh at the Atlantic. Trying to place what Shrimpzilla is, I do not remember this book at all. The things I remember <laughs> from this book are the judo flip, the you drop this, and then literally the fall. Like that's it. I don't remember anything else. <laughs> I think the shri- so they call so it Shrimpzilla, so it's not actually shrimp. It's just basically a giant sea monster because the Atlantic oh. Ocean has lots of sea monsters. Right. Oh, and the the scene where um. Frank turns into a dolphin to like keep the pirates away. I remember that scene because it's just genius. Love it. Uh, yeah, love it. <laughs> oh, Frank is the best. Frank really gets the worst of it at all points I have in this series. Such a soft spot for him. Yeah, but honestly, oh, love. 
big he loves deserves to my the Frankie. world. He really yes. does. He really does. He does so much, and Leo literally deserves nothing. <laughs> <laughs> literally nothing. I don't understand, and I didn't understand it when I was when this was coming out either. Like the Leo apologists and the Leo stands. I was like, why? What is <laughs> what is written here that made you go yes? <laughs> everything that's written here made me go fuck no. <laughs> He's I just get... mean. Yeah. Even at like whatever, oh, I don't even remember how old I would have been when this came out. But even then I was like, why do you need girlfriend to be happy and complete? Why do you need to talk about it 24-7? And why do I need to hear about it? <laughs> why is that <laughs> your only character trait? I can fix things, but I'm so lonely. Shut up. <laughs> it's my yeah. assessment of Leo. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't get any better in Trials of Apollo. No, he's um, how much to get like worse which is um, why i still don't understand the stands i don't get it yeah was it because of the mcchisel scene i that's like the only thing i can think of uh, yeah which like, was not... funny but it's like momentarily yeah like it was just for one thing <laughs> just the one um, yeah yeah else. and admittedly it was mainly funny because of echo like echo really <laughs> sold it <laughs> oh she's such a cutie yeah see i um i'll be doing it for my rewrite episode but like echo should have been a more prominent character and prom more prominent fixture in leo's life of showing that sometimes just recognizing what you have around you is more important than wanting something that you don't need which in his case is a relationship because no work on yourself boy (laughs) See, that's like, you know how all of the original Percy books were like based on one myth and like they just followed like that myth and Percy was supposed to be based on Perseus or whatever else, whatever else, and like a mixture of Hercules. Why didn't he do the same thing for the hero's characters? Why didn't he like assign a specific myth or a story or a hero to each of them that they have to like follow that path? And why wasn't Echo, like why wasn't that story exactly leo's story i don't understand it could have been see he would have been like way more in depth if he'd had something like that for each of them yeah that definitely would have been interesting if that had but i don't know how it would well i guess you could still do a male hero for the girls but like obviously there are a few female heroes in like greek and roman mythology but Mm. few and far between um but it could still work yeah that would have been really interesting because it would have carried on the idea behind it I don't know. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how that would have worked and how their personalities would have changed. Yeah. Ooh. But anyway, map of Athena. <laughs> <laughs> we've got our points to focus on. So today we've got characters, plot, and generally what we thought of it. Let's dive in. Because <laughs> we haven't already. <laughs> no, we have not. <laughs> we've not touched anything that happens in here. That's structure. Uh, we don't know what that is. No, we don't. <laughs> But this is this is the Annabeth overview. I'm gonna say it so we keep going. Take it away, friend. I'm I'm muting myself. <laughs> so Annabeth overview because it's Annabeth chapters. They don't make it in the, to the ship in time before Octavian and his goons intercept them. Counteracting Popish charm speak, Annabeth uses the only thing she has to advantage: Percy's sass. Throwing her dagger into the water, she waits for the boy to arrive, sending the Romans into the water. Rushing back to the ship, they head for Fort 
Hector, where the map is hidden, alerting Jason, Frank, and Leo to the current danger. I wish they didn't do it for Leo, but whatever. They're surrounded, but Annabeth needs that map. With the team working together to keep the Romans back, Annabeth enters the fort and finds the answers, as well as Raina. Raina warns her that if they leave now, the war will be taken to Camp Half-Blood, where, with their numbers and strength, the Romans will win. Annabeth begs her for time, swearing she will be able to fix the civil unrest between the Romans and Greeks once and for all. Not trusting her, but still hoping to avoid war, Raina lets her go, and the seven flee. End of overview. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a small section, but you know what? That's the only way I can get through Heroes of Olympus is in small bites. <laughs> That's totally fair. Totally I, fair. I messed up a lot with The Lost Hero when I just did these huge story segment sections. And I was like, this was a mistake because I have to read so much more. <laughs> See, but they were like so huge. And yet it was still like 20 episodes. <laughs> yeah that's true oh gosh yeah i think i did eventually break some of the bits up because i was like i can't i can't read 50 pages of the lost hero (laughs) (laughs) that was like so when joe and i were discussing how we were gonna tackle it joe was like can we just get it over in one episode and i was like so you want to read the whole book in one week and she was like oh no (laughs) so i think we've resigned to doing it in smaller chunks which I feel like I'm going to walk into that book and be like, I want to try and have like a positive outlook. I'm going to get one episode in and be like, fuck this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that's kind of where I was at. Cause I remember, I I don't remember not disliking it as much as I do. I definitely didn't think it was as good as the original series, just because like my issue had always been why bring up Percy when you're trying to make us care about these other characters. Yeah. Yeah. But I kind of am of the opinion that he never planned to have Percy and Annabeth be in it as much as they are. Like, I feel like he was going to have them be in it as like cameos in the way that he had them in Magnus and in um, Trials of Apollo. But then I think with just how badly The Lost Hero flopped when it first was released and everyone was like, where's Percy? Oh my God, that's the only thing we want to read about. Like, you know, I think that was enough I think he kind of understood that there was enough of a an attachment to Percy that the series was not going to do well at that point if Percy wasn't in it so I think that's why they were included again yeah yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if that was also the case to do with the King Chronicles because like the King Chronicles came out before Heroes of Olympus so I wonder if there was like a because it didn't like makes me sad because King Chronicles is really good I really like oh there's so much potential in that series and he just let it fall to the side yeah and like so many people still don't know about the adaptation so many people still haven't read the series it's been out for over a decade now yeah well now actually it was a decade this year (laughs) it's like a good series too like when we finished it because Joe hadn't read it and so when I like couldn't go into like depth about things in the episodes that we did on Kane because Joe hadn't read it, I didn't want to like spoil anything, but even like by the time we got mm. to the third book, she was like, Oh my god, they're calling back this from this book and this from like this one, and it was like the formula of it was very OG Percy Jackson, and then you read Heroes and you're like, What the fuck is this? <laughs> Shit Joe. Yeah. That's just it's it's a lot. And I think this is like this section kind of cultivates it. Like it shows a lot of the problems that I kind of have with it, in mm. that like I was saying, we're still in America. 
and we're on yeah. page 250. Yeah. We've gone for a map that has not been brought to our attention until the previous section. Mm-hmm. Jason is still keeping things hidden about the whole situation. We're just, there's also elements of like, we know who the weaver is because yeah. Annabeth said. <laughs> yeah. She says it's Arachne was the person that her mother cursed and that's why they're tormented by spiders. And then she says, who's the weaver? And I'm like, are you serious? You I just want- said her name. The mother yeah. of spiders. <laughs> Who've just like, been involved with where you tried to get the map. I mean, it's spiders. It's arachne. Yeah. And he like he like laid those kind of clues and that kind of groundwork in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, but he didn't, you know, he didn't say stuff like, here's the story, I wonder who it is. I've just named them. It was like, here's the story, move on two chapters later, then you name them. Like that kind of gave like the the audience a little bit more time to try and figure it out themselves. But this one was so obvious that it's like if anyone's not picking it up by that point, then what the hell? Yeah, and that's the case with Annabeth because Annabeth should know oh, and shouldn't she have should to ask. Know. Yeah, that's and it's shameful for her. Yeah, and it's just it's things like this are, uh, that's what gets on my nerve with Heroes of Olympus a little bit. I know people are going to be listening to this and be like, "Oh, we listen to you complain all the time." I'm sorry, I know I'm annoying. Um, by the way, if anyone wants to buy merch saying most hated Percy Jackson content creator, I have it now on my website. <laughs> so that is my new merch. Uh, I think it, it will have gone live by this episode. So yeah, I've, it's I've, iconic, I've made actually. shirts. It's iconic. <laughs> it's iconic. Oh my God. Um, no, I was going to say, I think the thing that frustrates me with this series is that the pacing is so far off because he's spending so much time, not just jumping between character to character, but he literally, like if each character gets a three chapter point of view and then moves on to the next one the first chapter of each of those point of views is summing up what we just learned in the last point of view and so like it's like you get somewhere and then it's stagnant while this character explains what just happened and what we just read we already had that perspective and it's like it keeps going like that throughout the whole series I feel like yeah. that's why it was annoying to me because I was like stopping and starting all this time, especially when like they all get together in this book and you just have so many people trying to interfere with information. The only time that it actually gets like you get somewhere is when we get glimpses of Annabeth because she's not with them and she's doing other stuff. So she can give a recap of her own life the last couple of hours that we went with her. Whereas like the others, it's like, I don't need to know about the battle you just had on the ship. I read it in Jason's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Like, th- th- I wish this had been more about Annabeth because this is meant to be her book, but mm. we've not had her point of view until now. Yeah, she was at the start of the book, and then this is the second time we've had her point of view. Yeah, and that's two hundred pages later. Yeah, yeah, and it's just kind of like you could have gotten rid of Percy's POV. Not gonna lie, yeah. like we don't need the thing his that's POV. Like- also disappointing is reading these three chapters in Annabeth's perspective there are only actually like two moments that actually feel like Annabeth the rest of it feels like a kind of mirrored version of her that's not quite her yeah I don't know if that makes sense but like the the scenes that made me feel like yes this is Annabeth as a character are literally the scene where she's interacting with Percy because she dropped her knife down to him like that dynamic works and that's like this is the Annabeth that we know but before that in the situation with Aphrodite it's like I don't know this Annabeth she's 
just like the way that she's acting is a little bit weird but then when she's like back on the ship and she's like leading and she's like delegating I'm like yes this is Annabeth and then when she goes into the fort to get the map it's like who is I don't know this character because she's like doesn't use things she doesn't like think logically or she doesn't think the way that I would think Annabeth thinks yeah thinks in one sentence (laughs) no I've definitely felt that a lot with Annabeth's POV perspective because yeah like you were saying the previous um in, in the previous episode for this podcast as well the Anna, the Aphrodite stuff hated all of that like that wasn't Annabeth that just was, yeah I just wasn't a fan but the moments that we do have in this section really do stand up for like her running the ship her having this moment with Percy her figuring out where the map would be located all those moments were kind of like, oh yeah this is this is this is the Annabeth that I know and love because I feel like that's where Rick knows that she thrives because he's only ever had to write her in those like action scenarios before where she's like actively participating in what's happening. Whereas like yeah. in the scenes where it's more, um, what's the word? Not active. <laughs> where there's no action. Meandering. Yeah, yeah, meandering. Yeah. Those, I feel like he doesn't know how to treat her character in those meandering scenes because he hasn't like, he's only ever thought about how she interacts with spaces from Percy's point of view and so when it's in her head he like goes back to making her sound the same as every other female character like he and I mean she and Piper sound very similar in their point of views which makes Mm. no sense for Annabeth because she literally thinks differently yeah Yeah. I don't know grinds my gears a little bit it gets a little bit better when she's on her own like when she goes off on her quest it gets a little bit better yes but here where she's with the group it's no good yeah, I think the thing I found is when she's near Percy, and it's the same with Piper, I'm finding, when she's near Percy, she's not feeling like Annabeth to a degree. Mm. Like she has that one moment of like the dropping of the knife and stuff like that, and like that one moment, I'm like, okay, that's the two of them together. But there's a lot of centering Percy in her own perspective. Like, mm-hmm. we have, was it, was it in this section? No, it wasn't this section that she talks about her mum. <laughs> was it? No, that was the uh... previous section. That was a previous section. Yeah. I think I got confused. Um, oh, it's because she's talking about her stepmom and stuff like that. That's why I got yeah. confused. Um, yeah, there's just there's a lot of moments where I just feel like Annabeth is not centered in her own. Well, POV. It's, like, it's just mm, sorry. I was say, the the bit um, at the the very like first page of the first chapter in her perspective for this section. Um, which is, I think your episode did previously, just before she went to go see Aphrodite. Literally, like the second page if this is the second time that we've had her perspective since the beginning of the book and then the second page of that perspective is her literally talking about Percy's appearance is like it's like what you're saying it's not centered on her it's centered on Percy like she goes into detail about his hair and I'm like yeah thanks for that because I love Percy but I already know what his hair looks like and I know that you're obsessed with him you simp so let's move on (laughs) yeah yeah there's um there's a lot of that I think literally ironically the only character who doesn't center on a boy is Hazel. But then we've got this currently happening in this book with the whole Leo yeah. situation. Yeah. So we've kind of ended up with her. Yeah. Rick just, as I've learned from Megan in a, an episode a little while ago now, um, his writing of female characters from their perspective does get better with Daughter of the Deep. But this is... Just... I haven't read it yet. I really need to read that one. Yeah. The TBR is so long at this point. It's, it's yeah so long <laughs> um but um to kind of like focus on this specific 
chapter. Firstly, I want to just say, Raina has been through so much. Oh my um, god. She so needs much. a hug. Like, the lines that Annabeth says in relation to, like, Raina just looks so bitter and exhausted because, like, she's literally dealing with the weight of the world on her shoulders. Firstly, mm-hmm. completely alone because she does not have a second praetor. Yeah. Because Jason bailed, Percy's bailed, Octavian's a dick. And she's having to hold this weight on her shoulders. I don't like that Annabeth has said that she looks like that way because yeah. Jason rejected her because that's stupid. Um, yeah. And, and Percy did true. it more recently, so if anything, it should be about Percy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, it's definitely more... It should be more centred on the fact that it's literally because she's having to deal with this whole building war caused yeah. by Annabeth and her people. Yeah. And she you doesn't know, what would know how to do it. make that scene in the fort with Raina so much more powerful is if Jason is the one going up against her. That would have been that would have made that scene just like 10 times better because especially if it was like, if you were seeing it like a little bit of it from her side, because she's looking at this person who's supposed to be her partner and who's supposed to lead her army. And he's the one going up against her saying, no, you guys are wrong. Don't go up against the Greeks. Like give us more time, like do all of this. And she would be like conflicted because he's supposed to be on her side, but now he's not. And so, yeah, sorry, that just would have been way better. Oh yeah. I could have liked that. Like, Annabeth is trying to get the map and then Rainy comes in and is basically seemingly about to attack her. Jason comes in, stops it, and then starts fighting Rainer, telling yeah. her to back off. So yeah. we're still seeing it from Annabeth's perspective and she's the one recognising the hurt and confusion yes. in Rainer's expression. Love and it. she has a wonder, is it because Jason's turning on her because they have a history? Or mm-hmm. is it just because she does not know what to do because she has the literal weight of an army on her 16, 17 year old shoulders. Like that would have been, yeah, I totally agree. That would have been so good to see. It would also just give white bread Jason a little bit more spice, you know, some flavor. (laughs) Literally. I mean, he is, he is plain white bread untoasted. Like he doesn't even have butter. Like he's just plain white bread. (laughs) My gosh. Yeah. It's just, he honestly is such a disappointment. (laughs) Yeah, truly. Um, but uh, we can talk about this briefly. We're going to, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but just because I've seen your note on it, um, Annabeth, <laughs> Annabeth's line and Riggs' line for Annabeth about her being blonde. So there's two references to it in these three Annabeth chapters. So there's one right before she sees Aphrodite, and then another one when she drops the knife. And so the oh, first yes. one, the first one is where she goes, "I've had to work so much harder," or like, "I look, you know, I wish that I had dark hair because no one takes blonde hair seriously." That one makes me laugh constantly because she's being facetious about it, and yet people who, like, racist people who take that statement as canon, who like uh, try to use it to discredit Leah as Annabeth, that makes me laugh so much because I'm like, you did not read the book analytically like she was not talking about herself in a serious way she was literally saying how ridiculous is this that people think this way of me and you're like thinking that way of her anyway and then she calls herself a dumb blonde when she drops the knife because she says that she tries to inhabit that dumb blonde expression when she's looking at Octavian trying to like fool him into being like oh no oopsie silly me drop my knife but she's also (laughs) being like in that section like I would never fucking I'm not that dumb like what and has nothing to do with my hair color and so yeah. it just, it fully makes me cringe that people cling to these statements that Rick has written. And it's like, well, that's obviously, you got to keep it in context. She doesn't actually think of herself that way. 
So you can't use it as an excuse for your opinions and your behavior regarding an actual human being over a fictional human being. Yes. Leah is uh, Annabeth racist. Speak on. She's smashing it too. I've seen like some of her TikToks and I'm like, kid is fucking yoked. (laughs) Serious. So cool. She's such a sweetheart. I'm honestly so excited to see them in the show. And like, if we ever get a Heroes of Olympus adaptation with like all the problems with it fixed <laughs> her doing it would be well unrecognizable her... we'd all be watching it going i don't remember this part <laughs> but i don't remember this but it's so much better <laughs> oh my God. but her doing the mark of athena quest would be so cool to see it oh my gosh would. i love but, um, reading like his little blog posts so much and anytime he mentions like any one of the the trio i literally get that feeling inside of me where you're like sitting in a chair and your legs can't reach the ground and you're just like swinging your feet and like having <laughs> yeah. a little giggle that is what i feel every time he mentions the kids because i'm like oh, i'm gonna love them oh, so much pure joy can't wait you already see it um but i do like that that did actually kind of feel like an annabeth moment of like using people's own stupidity against oh, yeah. them um, 100% and, uh, yeah. and, and it worked <laughs> like, that she's was the Annabeth moment pants. we love a smarty she's so pants. smart. she's smart until she's not <laughs> oh my god as we see with the arachne thing yeah um my god that did that arachne stuff really did <laughs> I was like why <laughs> why <laughs> but um oh <laughs> speaking of um female characters not receiving the best um your comments on Piper <laughs> Fucking hell. Okay, when this series came out and everyone was trying to defend Piper, I was like, what are you trying to defend? Like, what are you defending? She literally spends the entire series, her only narrative is, oh my God, Jason, I'm obsessed with Jason. And oh my God, I have to protect Jason. And there's this one like line in this like section. So after Jason is like trying to get back to the ship and they're trying to fly away, he's like stopped by, is he in the chariot, in the flying chariot? Uh, so he's flying himself. So he's doing solo flight. Oh, right, of course. Uh, Frank is eagle. Frank is right. doing the eagle form. I carrying uh-huh. Leo, and gotcha. then the boat hits Jason or something like that. I of think. course. And so, but then Frank and Leo also go like flying, and they like, yeah because Coach Hedge yeah. accidentally singes Frank's wings because he's an right. idiot. Of course. <laughs> and so, anyway, in this like scene, Piper like looks at what happened, and where three people have just like perished basically off the side of the ship anyway and her only like thought is oh my gosh we have to save jason and hazel literally turns to her and she's like and frank and leo and hazel's <laughs> i mean piper's like oh yeah and i'm like well this is why i don't like you because this is your whole personality is your boyfriend yeah, yeah. makes me mad and so like when people yeah. are like oh my god she's such a good character i'm like where are you where are we reading the same book yeah, I think the sad thing is she's a good character when Jason is nowhere in sight. Yeah, because like even the section like when the moment she sees the Romans and she immediately goes to try to use the child speak to kind of stop them. Unfortunately, yeah. they have like put the wax in their ears, but like she's immediately in a sense on the offensive to help deal with that situation. Yeah. But, like, in other moments, like you said, like, Jason being injured, she's like, Jason, we have to go back for him. Yeah. And then you, like, said, yeah, and and Frank and Leo from Hazel. Mm. And Annabeth's just like, no, we can't, because if we stop, we're dead. So they'll catch up with us. They'll be fine. Um, 
Yeah, that whole moment was kind of like, oh my god. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Like, this fight with the Romans, cool as it is, is also irritating because um, Hedge is a dick. Mm-hmm. I hate Hedge so much. He's caused all these problems. He fired on the Romans, yeah. which led to them getting angrier and attacking back, <laughs> to yeah. which they have more of the numbers to do so. He injured Frank, <laughs> which led to him and Leo falling and plummeting, not to their deaths, but like to more bodily harm. Yeah. And causes Jason to get hit by the ship because he's distracted because he's just seen Frank and Leo go down. Yeah. I just like Hedge causes so many problems, and every so often people just say, "Oh, but he's so funny." I'm like, "But what does he do? Yeah, like, what does he line, do that's helpful?" Bottom line, he's supposed to be their protector, and he just actively injured three of your quest members. Yeah, and it's not the first and, time he's done it. Yeah, and doesn't apologize. He sees no yeah. issue because, like, Annabeth calls him out, being like Hedge, and he's like, "What? It was a warning shot." And I'm like, "You just hit Frank." That's not a warning shot. That's friendly fire. Yeah, literally. I will never understand Rick's decision to actively exclude Grover from this series because Grover, nature lover, Underwood, going up against Gaia would have been immaculate because it would have brought like a little bit of levity to the seven and been like, hey, can't you see like her side of things just like a little bit? Like, she's kind of warning you in the wrong way about the end of the world, like, nature-wise. Don't you want Mm. the guy who's, like, actively trying to help that side of the world to be helping you? I don't know. Yeah. I think it would also have been nice if he was the one that was on the quest with the trio because there's a character yeah. you would recognize yeah. he'd be a character who has more information um and be able to provide help and guidance and also really? i just like him he won't cause problems <laughs> yeah if anything uh, with his like lord of the wildness he would be more helpful than hedge <laughs> um but let's move in. I just realised when I did my intro of the topics we were going to discuss, I didn't actually mention the backstories that I'd put because oh, I think I changed characters to backstory <laughs> and then just <laughs> forgot to change it in the subject. So, everyone, this is um, character backstories. Because <laughs> I don't want to talk about this because we do actually get quite a lot. And this is... Yeah. So I've done a video on my YouTube channel called... Uh, what was it called? It was basically to do with Annabeth's childhood trauma. And how basically everyone forgets she has childhood trauma. Oh yeah, like um, a lot. And like a lot. And it makes me even madder that she was still made to firstly apologize to her mm. parents. Mm. Um, and also go back to their abusive asses. Um, because Percy said they weren't that bad, which I hate him for. <gasps> I, I listened hate to Percy someone I listened to someone defend that statement from him the other day. I was like, Oh, I was like, you didn't read what you were supposed to read. They were like, oh my God, Percy did such a good job at like bridging the gap between, you know, what Annabeth feels and what he's just experienced. And I was like, that's not, he doesn't get to, he doesn't get to comment. Anyway. Yeah. I got so yeah, mad no. listening to it. I was like. Ugh. Yeah. And like considering <laughs> he's also from an abusive background yeah. and not everyone seemed to recognize that he was an abusive situation. Um, mm. He definitely should not be telling someone who has spoken about being from an abusive background to go back to said abusive background. Yeah, yeah. 
and this is just like this situation here like it's just it just shows how terrible of a situation yeah it was because like so annabeth so i've said this before annabeth should never have gone back to her family she should have never no. have had to deal with them no no i to this day she's i'm really one, annoyed you know? yeah she's she's, yeah, she's, she's got a new one She's got Percy, she's got Sally, as we find out as well yes. from the previous section. Her and Sally spend a lot of time together. She's got her family. She doesn't need her deadbeat dad. She doesn't need her evil stepmother. She doesn't yeah. need her shitty stepbrothers. Yeah. Or, well, half brothers. Yeah. Technically. She doesn't have DNA. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't actually exist. <laughs> but, like, yeah, so her stepmom is a dickhead. Oh so God. Annabeth is like six, seven years old. So this is it in the section when she's in Fort Sumner and uh, she's finding the answers and a bunch of spiders appear. And she basically yeah. has like a flashback to her childhood where spiders used to come into her room at night and attack her when yeah. she was six, seven years old. Yep. And she would scream and scream and scream and cry and cry and cry. And not only does her stepmother come into her room tell her to stop disturbing her brothers to grow up and stop being afraid of spiders to a seven-year-old yeah and then even after seeing uh, because obviously annabeth has that demigod healing so the bites disappear but the cobwebs don't and her stepmom calls her a liar yeah i mean how do you see literal physical proof of something off something off is happening something is obviously making her react this way how do you see physical proof of something making her react this way and then still call her crazy yeah like still discredit her just because she's seven yeah that makes no sense and the fact that this is what led to her running away as well so the fact that her dad also wasn't here her stepmom yeah. was treating her terribly and wouldn't actually call her dad who yeah so i'm assuming that the stepmom must have known because there is no way that this stepmother doesn't know that this child is magical because the no, dad probably knew. just yeah so she 100 percent knew so the fact that something unexplainable is happening yeah. she refuses to call the dad who would probably know a little bit more about it considering he literally experienced it with a mm-hmm. fucking god yeah i mean and then it led to this child running away from home to which neither the dad, stepmother, or any of them ever went looking for her afterwards. Yeah. I mean, why? The fact that she was so terrified that she ran away after two days of this happening, on the third day she ran away, like, yeah. obviously something was wrong. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever listened to someone scream in absolute fear and terror. But there yeah. is, like, no way that you could ignore that at yeah. all. Especially from a child. Yeah. Like, That's oh, crazy. God. Mm. It's Craziness. Just, it just makes me so much madder that, like, Rick thought... Because considering he's written this after sending Annabeth back to be with her family. Yeah. And has then included this bit. And I'm like, why did you do that when this is what she was experiencing as a child? Even, I mean, like, before he wrote all of this, the excuses for her running away in the first series were enough. They were yeah. enough to warrant running away. That it's like, yeah. he just went, let's make it, like, worse. Let's give her even <laughs> yeah. more trauma. Yeah, because, like, not only did she run away once, she ran away three times. 
at yeah. different stages in her life because they yeah. just did not care. And mm-hmm. yet, she's the one who goes back again and again. She's the one who apologises. She's the one to be made to feel that she got things wrong because Percy, a literal boy who's only seen her family once for maybe two yeah. hours, thought yeah. they were nice. <laughs> and his I reason mean... for wanting to forgive her dad was the fact that her dad took some of her emergency stash weapons melted them down for his own use for a artillery gun that only he could operate and then decided that that was a good idea and so percy seen him protecting quote unquote annabeth by killing all these monsters using this gun that only he can operate and percy's gone wow dad of the year and i'm like no 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 maybe she's coming back for those weapons he didn't have a right to touch them yeah and also why did she leave them there in the first place oh yeah because you were a dick (laughs) Yeah. Instead of keeping it and coveting it, of like, oh, this is the thing that my daughter left behind because I'm a bastard. Yeah. He destroyed them. I yeah. mean, like, that says a lot about him, doesn't it? And it says uh, just. <laughs> <laughs> Rage. I'm just, I'm just so mad because they never, like, the stepmother never apologized. No. I think the dad half did but it was like such a non-apology it was a very non-apology it was like a Um, we'll work through it together apology kind of half blaming annabeth for the situation like as in like a we've both done things wrong (laughs) yeah i'm like she's a child quite literally she's a child who needs severe therapy because chiron cannot deliver on that front no i I want to talk about the really interesting thing here that you mentioned that you and uh, Joe talked about to do with um, Alex. Oh, yeah. Because that was really interesting. Well, you just, like, the fact that he, like, doesn't apologise for the way that he treats her and he, the way that he kind of, or the, like, interpretation that I am getting from Frederick Chase is that he doesn't want to apologise or doesn't see that he needs to be held accountable for the way that he's, like, treating her because he never asked for her in the first place and I had this conversation with Joe it's just so interesting that that's how he sees Annabeth even after she's been his daughter for 16 years and it's Mm. that's like horrific but it it made me think like is not not how every demigod who has a godly mother feels because in every one of those situations the goddess had to drop a child on a mortal with no warning whereas in the opposite side of it a god can impregnate a mortal woman mortal woman and she has nine months to prepare herself and like understand that they're gonna have a child who has these powers whereas for the mortal fathers or you know people who goddesses decide to have a child with they just could be there one day and then have a baby the next like it it's just really 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 repeating like the same situation and just like creating that space for like neglect and for like abuse and for like you haven't prepared this person to take on a child you've you've lumped this child with them without their consent and in frederick's chase frederick's chase (laughs) in his case they didn't even have a sexual like what's the word relationship relationship thank you it it was just like a meeting of the minds it was just like an intelligence connection and that created a child hence annabeth has no um dna but 
also <laughs> Frederick was just in no way prepared for a child like he didn't even he didn't even take the risk of having unprotected sex he literally was just lumped with the child after having a really good brainstorm one day like what <laughs> that makes no yeah. sense and it's just like you're yeah the, the the fact that the gods don't seem to care and they're just dropping kids on mortals left right and center and then just wondering why their kids hate them and it's because well you drop them on a parent who wasn't prepared for them so they spent however long being neglected and abused and then they ran away so of course they have resentment towards you for like not stepping in and not like creating a healthy family dynamic and yeah yeah and what's interesting is that a lot of the kids don't have mortal fathers like Annabeth, like the only ones I can think of, because I was just thinking about it as you were talking, is Annabeth and Ethan Nakamura. They're the only ones that we would know of that would likely have had mortal fathers. Um, because Ethan's mum is the goddess of revenge, so making the assumption that it could have been a heterosexual situation, that means his parent was likely a mortal father. Mm-hmm. And considering the shit that he went through, of like, he had one eye <laughs> yeah. by the time he was, what, like 14? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like that's but definitely not like, great. Probably most Demeter kids and probably most Aphrodite kids as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about Demeter. <laughs> um, what other gods? We don't. I think those are the only two goddesses of like the Olympians who are listed there who would have kids. So yeah, okay. Oh yeah, so all the Demeter kids. Um, but yeah, we don't experience much from them the only one that comes later is meg mccaffrey and she had a really good relationship with her dad her her mortal father until he was you know brutally murdered um (laughs) and yeah i think that's the only one that i can think of that was actually a somewhat good relationship and it's because her dad had spent a long period of time with demeter yeah and had always wanted kids to a degree but I'd never, I think it was like he'd never met someone until Demeter, and Demeter ended up being like his only love. So that was probably why yeah, he remember. was more okay with mm. having a kid. But yeah, it's just, it's definitely interesting either way, because like it definitely, <laughs> it leans into the stereotype for me of just hearing this of like the whole single dads are rare, quote unquote, or single yeah. dads aren't always great, which obviously is not true. Single dads can be just as great as single mums. Obviously, there are some who are shit because that is how humanity is. But, like, it definitely leans into this whole thing of, like, a dad suddenly having a child lumped onto him that he didn't choose to have. Yeah. Then becoming horrible. Whereas, like, in the similar situation, other than the fact that the mortal women are then giving birth to said child, they're in a similar boat. Yeah. <laughs> of they didn't technically want this child, and now they've been impregnated and abandoned immediately afterwards. Yes. Yeah. Um, the only difference is that they have that time to like process that information, but it's like the same situation of like they didn't ask to be pregnant in like most cases, and you would, you know. I'm I'm saying most cases because I know that Beryl Grace probably 100% did ask to be pregnant. Yes, uh, twice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, it makes me oh god, actually no, we won't get into this conversation. I'll talk to you about this afterwards because I was like, I don't think I want to start this debate on the podcast. I think that I it do is not want to die. like interesting the way that Rick sort of f- like frames that that kind of way of thinking is that 
you know, the single dads part of it is woe is them, they were lumped with a child, whereas like the female's perspective is you have to just accept that this is your lot in life because that's our role as women. Uh, yeah yeah it, it's interesting i don't like it but it's interesting <laughs> and i it's... understand that that probably wasn't a conscious decision that he made but oh, that's yeah. just you that's kind of how it can be just thing that that comes out yeah. yeah totally totally um it's definitely mm, it's 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 interesting i definitely yeah, yeah i agree i don't think it was a conscious choice but possibly maybe an unconscious one that's something mm-hmm. that we all think is that yeah being a single father is something that was lumped onto you whereas being a single mother it's something that happened to you yeah sort of vibe yeah which like something it's not great yeah. yeah and it's not always nice <laughs> and not always true sometimes but like that's the way it's often thought about um welcome to the best time can where we get deep <laughs> <laughs> did you ask to be depressed today well you got it <laughs> Don't worry, I'm always depressed, so welcome. <laughs> but um, I think that's kind of all I have for the backstory, because, like, just Annabeth's story just, just sucks. She it has such really a does. sad life. Yeah. And, oh, and then, like, all break. of, like, the loneliness that, like, comes later on her quest, oh, she's just Ugh. having a rough go of it. After just spending however many months without her boyfriend, when she only got him for, like, a month, it's just, she's having a rough go of it. She really Life is. was just, and the fact that when she saw Aphrodite in the last episode that you did, and Aphrodite was like, "Ha, we've had some fun, haven't we? Like, I made your love life interesting." And Adam's like, "I will fucking murder you." God, my life didn't <laughs> you need are to be dead to me. <laughs> I've been through my trauma. You don't need to give me more. God, I'm... literally. Wow, she's been through it. <laughs> but um, moving into uh, the plot element for this section. Um, I realized I didn't actually write as many notes as I thought I did because you've written a lot more notes than me. But, Most um, of them are just like responding to things that you write. I was like, oh my God, and then this? <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll talk about the first one because I think this is the one that, this is the main reason you came on, which is the you really is this scene. <laughs> it really is. So when Fran asked all of us in the Discord what episodes we might want to come on for, I literally turned on my caps lock straight away and I just wrote the three words, you dropped this because obviously that's just the best part of this book so (laughs) I forgot I didn't remember that this was literally just like a half a page like section of this whole scene like it's literally the tiniest portion of this scene and it is the only thing that stuck out in my Percebeth obsessed brain so obviously this was the only part I was remembering like I did not remember that Jason was hit by a boat and I did not remember that Frank lost like some feathers forgot all of that anyway so I just as I was rereading this I was like okay well it is a short scene but it's like so succinct and it's so well displays both like Percy's power and also like his relationship with Annabeth and their dynamic in like battle situations and just how well they understand each other and their like experience in these situations with each other they just like know how the other thinks and like it's like a you move they move kind of situation and so they're just like Mm. on the same wavelength which I think is done really really well by Rick in this scene and it just super super screams to me they're like having each other's backs and it's just like a callback to the original series and I think it's just I think that's the reason that it stuck out to me so much as well as the judo flip because it's just so Persebeth that it just it just you know it's like a drug and it just hits where you need it to hit in that moment oh it was just so good 
the fact that he like <laughs> makes a wave and like comes up and he's like casually letting them like almost drown when they're like in their armor it's it's amazing and then he's like don't worry i'm not actually letting them drown i am keeping them afloat a little bit and i'm like oh conscientious king you know <laughs> i love him so i'm much. not about murder unless i have to be <laughs> I also just like love Octavian in that scene as much as we all love to hate him because I just imagine that his voice is so nasal and shrill and in that moment where he's where they're like explaining that they have the wax in their ears and he's like it's so I can't be tempted by you you siren or whatever it was and I was like can you be more dramatic I love you so much yeah um (laughs) um but speaking of the whole Count Jupiter situation um I need to know if you were same as me because like as much as I love the well, I don't love. As much as I don't mind <laughs> the giants and the Gaia situation, the the fight between Camp Half Blood and Camp Jupiter was literally the one thing I was most excited about. And the fact that this is being built up here of like mm-hmm. they know where Camp Half Blood is, they're gonna head to Camp Half Blood. The camp will be like raised because Camp Jupiter is so insanely well you know they're, they're warriors and there's yeah. a huge number of them in comparison to the camp because the life expectancy is like 18 yeah. <laughs> so i was just like oh my god this is so exciting i can't wait for that to happen and then obviously it doesn't yeah but like were you excited when you were seeing this built up of just like this idea of the civil war so i think it's kind Not of the confederate interesting kind. because like i definitely think of camp jupiter as being like a well put together army and like whatever else and then the way that I think of Camp Half-Blood and how they train is like I will friendship bracelet you to death like that's what I will do and so like having that in my brain is like there's a clear winner over that right but then I think of Percy in the war games in Son of Neptune where the Romans are just absolutely baffled by his fighting style and he just aside from being a child of the big three he no longer has his like immortality curse of achilles whatever on his body so like he's still he, he like got through the entire army on his own and so i'm like if if you had five five kids at camp half blood who were just almost as talented as percy at swordplay camp jupiter would be fucked they'd be absolutely fucked no matter like i know that they have like cannons and whatever because we we love how octavian dies but like, I know that they have those, like, ways of destroying physically Camp Half-Blood. I actually think Camp Half-Blood would fully wreck the, like, infantry army themselves. I think that they, because they all just embody, like, chaos demons and, like, just wild children because they're literally wild children. It, yeah, I think, I still think Camp Half-Blood would win. And I think that's what I was thinking, aside from just me being like, I love Camp Half-Blood so much, nothing can compare. Camp Jupiter is their pussies in comparison. Um, so my brain was like, Camp Half-Blood will always win. They will always be superior. I think just even aside from that, I feel like they literally have the rabidness to win. Like even when they get to Blood of Olympus and Camp Jupiter like so organized, whatever, and Percy's battle cry is go fight stuff or like whatever it is. And it's so unorganized and so chaotic it just like works for them in a way that the romans aren't expecting and like i feel like because the romans are so like kick punch stab whereas and that's like literally their thought process as they're doing it whereas camp half battle like i'm gonna do whatever i want and you're gonna die because of it because i'm unhinged and i yeah (laughs) i love them for that i feel like the way to make it like an evenly matched fight would be if all of the romans leaned into their wolfish side but yeah that's like yeah i think so, that's yes. the one thing that i oh sorry 
Oh, I was just going to say, in short, I was definitely excited for the fight, but I was mostly excited for the carnage that Camp Half-Blood was going to spread <laughs> upon Camp Jupiter. Yes, um, that I do agree with. I feel like the way in which the battle between them would be that Camp Jupiter would kind of like lose a little bit when the chaos of Camp Half-Blood comes about. They then get reorganised and do a little bit. So it'd be like half and half, and then eventually like Camp Half-Blood would just get ahead. A because of like the carnage, they have but, that like, out it would of the box some... thinking, whereas Kim Jupiter yes. doesn't. Yeah, which always surprises me because, like, historically, <laughs> Rome literally defeated Greece. <laughs> they decimated like everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just kind of like, so technically, they really should be winning, but, um... but then it's also like historically, if Rick's putting the civil war like trope into it, Camp Upla's always going to win because. Camp Jupiter represents the Confederacy and they lost. Yeah, which, oh, God. <laughs> Ugh. But yeah, that's definitely... You know Rick likes his parallels. They're not always PC. Uh, yeah, and they're not always... Uh, they're always a choice. <laughs> yeah. It's the history nerd in him without realising the implications of what he's writing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. just yeah um, but I just the other thing that I found like really funny in this section when they're talking about when Raina especially is like you know we know where Camp Half-Blood is now because you told us and you told me and like I'm not gonna be able to stop them like Octavian's out for blood whatever and then Annabeth is like asking her to like stall and the thing that I found so funny is that like Raina succeeds obviously because it literally takes them two and a half more books to get to Camp Half-Blood when it's six states away. And it literally took them half a book to get from California all the way across the other side of the country to South Carolina. Like it took them half a book to get that far and it would take just under two weeks to walk from South Carolina to Long Island. And it's like, you still like, you stalled them enough. And Raina wasn't even there for half of it because all of Blood Olympus, she's like gone. And she still managed to like slow them down that much. I'm queen, absolute queen. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. She, I'm truly. I mean, that's why her name is Raina because I'm pretty. Wait, Raina means queen, doesn't it? Hold on, Raina. Uh, I think so. Name meaning. I've said that. I'm just like, hold on. Let me just. Yes, it is. It is. It's Latin for queen. It means Raina, which is a form of Regina, which um, means queen or lady. Look at that. Ah. We love that. it also means pure in yiddish which i like (laughs) sorry it just it came up with one of these suggestions i was like so it also means queen in spanish and pure in yiddish and i'm like that's nice i like so is reina canonically jewish now i'll take that i'm not opposed (laughs) um although mm, i think yeah i was gonna say or would she technically be catholic because she's from latin america so there's like a big Catholic population. Yeah. Although I, I don't know. know where she's from. In I don't know. It doesn't matter. Puerto Rico. <laughs> Isn't she Puerto Rican? Oh, Puerto Rican. That's it. Yes. I was like, I couldn't remember whereabouts she lived. I think there's a. I don't know. I don't know enough about that direction. I barely know enough about the UK. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I feel like- that's what happens when the education is run by Tories. <laughs> Hey. Yeah. <sighs> um, <laughs> Existential um, dread is what you just entered there. I did indeed. Um, oh, God. Um, 
to go into the the map stuff for the map of athena section yeah. um, i am very confused that there is a map <laughs> and yeah. it's a map that is still in america considering it was confirmed that many of the kids have made it to rome and you know got quite far so why is the map still there yeah <laughs> like clearly people were using it so why and then i had this whole thing of like maybe if they don't survive the map just teleports back or something <laughs> takes itself back to like a video game it's back yeah. to square one yeah. yeah that is so i just i wish that the like the actual quest for the mark of athena was more like well known within at least just the athena kids because athena has to tell annabeth about it right like annabeth didn't yeah. just know so I feel like it would make more sense if like the Athena kids knew about it even more. And so it's like they knew their past relatives, <laughs> that's a loose mm. term, <laughs> who tried to take on the quest. And so it would make more sense if she was like treasure hunting for the last place that one of her siblings left the map instead of like it literally just teleporting itself back to square one. It would make more sense if she was like, well, this was the last person who tried the quest and they died a terrible death. But they left the map there where they died their terrible death. So I'm going to go visit their grave and also steal their shit so that I can keep going. (laughs) That would make more sense to me. I I can agree with that. Because, like, also, just logically for it all, it would make more sense for it to be something that they all know about. Because, like, how the the search for Pan. I feel like that's how it should have been presented, like, the search for Pan. Of, like, people know people have gone missing. So you just assume they're probably dead because they've not returned for many, many years. Um, whereas if they'd succeeded, they probably would have been back by now. Um, I think that would just be really interesting. Like, someone just decides, hey, I kind of want to see if I can figure out the path to the Mark of Athena and see if I can do it. Yeah. Um, the only way and that in makes this case, sense... yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say the only oh, no, way that right. makes sense for the map to be in the fort or start at the fort each time is if it's, like, written in the stone on the wall and it's, like, immovable. That would be the only way yeah. it makes sense to start there for each kid. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that because I think what would also be the interesting part of like Annabeth knows about the mark of Athena because all of the Athena kids know about it, but she specifically is going on this quest because her mother told her she had to. Yeah, because it was the only way. Like maybe they can't. They all know about it, but they can't start it unless they have the the coin with the owl on it that Athena gives them. Yeah, and maybe that's maybe the whole thing is that Annabeth is the first Athena kid to receive this coin because the others yeah. went on the quest knowing about it, hoping that they could find it, but because they didn't have the initial key, they yeah. couldn't and died terrible deaths. But because Annabeth was approached by Athena because yeah. of the kind of the the terrible situation she's in at the moment of like her mind being split by yeah. the Roman destruction version of her and her true version of herself. So she wants Athena, uh, Annabeth to find it to get revenge because that's what the statue is all about, revenge. Yeah. Um, so, so I Annabeth think, yeah, I think that would be interesting. Yeah, yes. Because yes. I want Annabeth to be a chosen one. <laughs> <laughs> Manifest it. <laughs> Manifest it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. It, just, it would be nice for that to... Because it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> Yeah. either why no one's ever heard of this it really doesn't like it also just kind of doesn't make sense that they need a map in the first place like maybe i think they should all just know that they need to start over in greece right 
that makes more sense. Yeah. Oh, I think it's in Rome that they start first. I think Fair Rome enough. is because yeah. Um, but yeah, like they, but mainly they know she needs to be in Rome. They just do this bypass to get the map <laughs> for when they're in Rome. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, technically she didn't need the map because they already knew it was in Rome that she needed to be. What would be nice is instead of the map, Jason, who knows the story, actually knows where she needs to start first. But he, the reason why he didn't say anything beforehand is because he knew that he needed to travel the Atlantic and he didn't want to start problems of the fact that he knows these things and he knows what was stolen, etc, etc, etc. Because still, technically, we also don't know what was stolen. We just know it's a statue. Yeah. So, so unless you like really know mythology, the audience doesn't know. Yeah. So what would have been interesting if Jason knew all of this and the reason why he waited to tell them whilst they were in Rome is because he knew that when they got there, Annabeth would immediately want to go find. So he wanted to basically do all the things that they needed to do before they crossed the ocean because they needed to do those things. And then the moment yeah. they arrived in Rome, he told her what it was, where she needed to go because he remembers all these things. Because it's like a thing passed down to all the Romans, the story of how they yeah. stole this you know or something like that. hilarious is if she spent all that time looking for the map and the map literally just said, go to Rome. <laughs> go to go Rome. Go to Rome and ask your Roman guide, which in this case is Jason. <laughs> yeah. That would be, that would actually be really funny. Yeah. I mean, considering also I don't actually remember the map ever being of use. No, neither. Uh, it's yeah. not like she can use it when she's down in, I'm going to call them catacombs, but they're not. But when she's like down but, underground and, you know. Yeah. It's not like she, like, she I uses think like it's, logic to get through stuff. Yeah. I think that the only time it's of use is when it's leading her to the first entrance. And technically she isn't even led to the first entrance. <laughs> Audrey Hepburn leads her to the first entrance. <laughs> Everybody's favourite tour guide. Yeah, just, oh god, to this day I'm just kind of like, I really can't believe Rogue did that. Like, yeah, Audrey Hepburn, sure. Yeah. <laughs> She's leading them to <laughs> to the first entrance. Oh god. <laughs> uh, um, I was say, I do, I am intrigued to your thoughts on this, so I I think I've, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before. Um, <laughs> I don't like the, the statue stuff. <laughs> right. I'm kind of like, we'll just why? Why is it here? Like, I love that Annabeth is having her own book and her own journey, but finding a statue to mend old wounds that technically only really affects the Athena kids based on their yeah. pride. It's not a good story premise to me. <laughs> so I'm just like, especially yeah. considering it also doesn't do anything. I think... Like, I was mostly confused when it was included because I was like, okay, so Heroes of Olympus, our big bads are the giants and then the bigger bad supposedly is gay, is Gaia, gay, however you say it. But then on top of that, we have to try and fix those things and fight off those things because our godly parents are doing their schizophrenic thing. They can't like dissociate between their two, you know, mm. sides of themselves. So we have to try and fix that. And then as part of that, now they have the civil war on top of that. So like, okay, well, we have to try and find a way to make peace between our two camps. And the way to make peace is to show that the Romans have given back the statue that they stole, but it's not really them giving it back. It's literally Annabeth 
taking it back because they forgot where they put it. Yeah. And like, I know Raina does eventually deliver it herself, so it is technically a Roman delivering it. But so Annabeth is like, the one who went on the quest. Like, she she's went the one the who's got it. And Raina's delivering it. But I just imagine, like, as she's delivering it to camp, everyone at Camp Half Blood doesn't know what it is. Like, yeah. they don't know the story behind it. So it makes that's the part that makes no sense because it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess the statue united us, but it means nothing to both camps because we both collectively forgot it existed. And so shouldn't they have, if they forgot it existed, shouldn't they have forgotten that their grudge existed at the same time? Yeah, it was just, it was a whole thing. Like, I guess, like, maybe the Athena kids know about it because it's their mother in a statue, (laughs) but, like, they're the only kids who would understand it. Yeah, but then, like, if they had forgotten their like grudge against the camps it then makes no sense that the gods are having trouble with their two identities because is the basis of them having trouble with those identities the fact that the camps hate each other or the fact that they know about each other because if it's that they know about each other then it doesn't make sense that the gods can go back to their original forms in Charles of Apollo like they should be still struggling because the camps know that each other exists yeah just there's a lot of confusing elements well, with that like it just doesn't like it's a lot of it doesn't make there. sense yeah it's just the whole thing is just a bit strange adding the fact that literally the only thing that the statue does is that it basically does the same thing that the golden fleece does yeah but better but just more <laughs> like it's just like hey i'm just gonna add an extra shield around you there you go maybe because it's bigger they can like expand their territory and like sell more strawberries because they can have more <laughs> strawberry fields who knows yeah, honestly, the whole thing was just weird. And so it just kind of then makes this whole book feel really random. Like, basically, the only important thing that happens in this book that actually feels important is them falling into Tartarus because that's the way to open the doors of death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Literally. And like, but that's, like, the only thing. Yeah. That and saving Nico. But, like, those are the only things. That been, so, yeah, that should have been the two... They should have really drawn a parallel between Nico and the statue because, like, the statue is something that divided the two camps and then Nico should be something that's, like, bridging the two camps because he knows yeah. about and he's And, like, the reason he didn't tell anyone that he knew about the Roman camp is probably because his dad asked him not to because I feel like he was there for something for his dad because he's supposed to be that ambassador character. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. The whole, like, quest thing, like, just feels really, like, out of its quest it feels out of place because we don't have a stake in the Athena Parthenos situation. Like it, it, the only way that I could understand it making sense is if they changed it to be like, instead of Annabeth having to find her way across the Atlantic throughout the book, it should have been to like parallel the first two books. It should have been that she was one night kidnapped in her sleep. Nobody knows where she's gone. She's supposed to be like the leader, quote unquote, of the seven she's suddenly gone and they have to go and rescue her and so then that would have made the tension better between Persebeth because they would have been away from each other for another book and then it would have made the tension of the fall scene like even better because Percy's like no I'm literally not letting you go again like <laughs> you're never yeah. you're never leaving my side like this is this is forever like it would have just been like way that's how I can see it making sense because instead of them going to rescue Nico they'd be rescuing Annabeth, who's actually a part of the Seven, and then Nico could come into it later with something else. Maybe he could still be down in Tartarus and they have to go and rescue him from Tartarus. I don't know. While yeah. they're on the way to, like, closing the doors. I, this makes way more sense to me. 
Yeah, that definitely would have been interesting if he had been Even there. And the reason it's impressive that he made it out of Tartarus alone. I feel yeah. like he shouldn't have. Yeah, that de- yeah, that definitely would be interesting. I think adding him in there would just I don't know just it would have added a lot. Also, it would have been interesting for them to find like if he found a way to communicate with them from Tartarus, yeah. and he tells them they need to find the other side of the doors of death. Yeah. Um. So basically, doing what Perseveres do in House of Hades, but it's mm. Nico alone. That would have been interesting. Oh my god! Imagine if he's like down in Tartarus, and all the monsters have realized that he can bring people back from the dead, and so they've like trapped him at the doors, and they're like, "You're gonna bring us back from the dead now," as well as the door being open, and as well as like Thanatos being like incapacitated, <laughs> like just like another assurance of the monsters to be like. Mm we're going to get out of this because we're going to use your death powers. we already seen you. Bring Hazel back. <laughs> Bring us back too. <laughs> that definitely would be, oh, that would definitely, oh, that would have been so cool. <laughs> so much potential. <laughs> Rick just needed a writer's room. He needed a little bit more brainstorming happening for this book. I feel like he could have really benefited from this Zoom call. <laughs> yeah. I think even just like having a bit more time because like obviously he was writing the Kane Chronicles and yeah. Heroes of Olympus at the exact same time. Yeah. I'm kind of like, Emily, that's also why I feel like the first two books of Charles of Apollo also aren't that great because he was also writing Magnus Chase at the exact same time. See, that's where I I actually like the first Charles book. I don't like the second one, but I do like the first one. I think the first one yeah. is actually like good because we get to see more of camp and we spend the whole book at camp and like we get to see like Lester's interactions with his own children in a way that we haven't seen a god do that before mm. i actually really like the first book yeah oh i definitely like it i think like compa- i think burning men like i think the last three are like oh yeah the stronger ones um but like you can definitely. tell that he's definitely he, that rick had had that time to actually focus on those books because yeah. he was writing them without having another book definitely. happening at the same time without giving that basically just to our king yeah. yes 100 <laughs> percent <laughs> Absolutely. Um, someone tried to convince me the other day that carter kane is a better character than magnus and i was like you are just 100 percent wrong i'm sorry you're wrong as much as i love carter and he's my boy magnus is yeah. objectively better yeah i was gonna say they are very different characters as well mm. though like like carter and magnus yeah. are nowhere nothing alike i think if they were c- gonna compare carter to someone uh, that it was similar that carter would be slightly better than would who would it be actually <laughs> see my argument think... of my argument of carter versus magnus fully boiled down to the fact that rick did not give carter enough development i was like canonically he has nothing going for him in the way that magnus does so magnus is objectively better because he's canonically stronger and a like a canonically stronger character and they were like yeah okay you got me <laughs> I was like, oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and things like that yeah 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 I was thinking more, like, personality-wise, like, if we were to do a comparison. Oh, if Carter was developed more, he would be, like, up on par. So, yeah. Yeah. That's the case with a lot of characters. <laughs> Just every uh, character. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's all for this section. Do you have, like, any final thoughts for uh, the Map of Athena <laughs> section? Again, immaculate title. Um, no, <laughs> I, think, I think that's that's all I have. Alright, awesome. I think that's the same with me as well, other than um Rick, if you ever get Heroes of Olympus adapted, change many things. <laughs> It'd just be like part of the contract is you have to change the plot actually. 
<laughs> yeah, just so not like the whole thing. And there's just small little things. Check out my YouTube yeah. channel for where yeah. I've suggested this. As you can take the said, ideas, just bring me into the writer's room. <laughs> as he has said in his blog many times, that the the books are just like a suggestion. They're just like a, a starting off point, you know, a jumping off point, and we're going to change stuff from there. I'm fully on board, you know. I think people need Truly. to have more of an open mind about, about things. Treat Just treat the show and – Heroes of Olympus in the future as like one big what if episode. Yes. I feel yes, like people would be like much that. more receptive of things if they embrace that kind of change, you know? Totally. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's where we are going to stop. So before we get into Katie telling us where we can all find them, uh, here is this week's question of the episode, which is why did Raina use the information Annabeth gave her against her? So that is the whole, she's told everyone where Camp Half-Blood is, basically. Why did yeah. she do that? I want to know, because I also actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know why she did it. Because no one knew. In line with, it's not very in line with Raina. She's not someone who can be peer pressured. So her, like, her saying that Octavian has, like, whipped the Legion into a frenzy kind of makes no sense, because she should be able to nip that in the bud a little bit. Yeah. More. And, like, I kind of half get why he would manage to, because the camp was fired upon so that would be enough true, to kind of whip people true. into a frenzy very but true. like why would she tell them that annabeth told her where to find yeah. camp half-blood like I, that's could've... not gonna make it better Raina could have figured out another way to like get through to the legion without throwing annabeth under the bus yeah yeah 100 percent um, so yeah, that will be going up on social media. So um, let us know your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. But Katie, tell everyone where they can find your stuffs. Well, you can come and find uh, my podcast everywhere you get them, basically. So like Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you want. Um, and we are the Damn Snack Bar Podcast. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, then we are at Damn Snack Bar Pod. So funsies. We make lots of memes. Come and, come and hang out. <laughs> awesome so all of that is going to be linked down below as i said at the start and uh katie thank you so much for coming on this is always so much fun thank you for having me i had a lot of fun <laughs> awesome and for everyone listening thank you all for joining us for this week's section be sure to join me next wednesday as we continue our universe journey and remember be sure to buy my book i'm poor thank you bye <laughs> classic to plug where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, Stitcher, and basically wherever you listen to your podcasts. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find the Best Damn Camp on various social media at Best Damn Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to email me with your thoughts on the episode, you can email the Best Damn Camp at hotmail.com, or if you want to support the podcast, you can head over to the Patreon page at patreon.com slash a healthy dose of Fran, which is linked in the episode show notes for things like early access to episodes and other exclusive perks. Want more Royal Universe content? Check me out on YouTube at a healthy dose of Fran. And if you want to support my writing career, drop me a follow at a dose of Fran on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Again, thank you all for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I'll see, shall I speak to you all next time. Bye.